This is Engage Governance, the podcast series from the Chartered Governance Institute, UK and Ireland. In this podcast, I'm talking to Deborah Garlick, founder of Henpicked, about the menopause transition, how it affects the workforce, what the board should be taking into account and the risks it might pose for a company. Deborah, could you begin by introducing yourself and give us an initial overview of the topic that we're discussing today? Thank you, Rachel. Yes, as you mentioned, I'm the founder of Henpicked and also the CEO of Henpicked Menopause in the Workplace and author of the book Menopause, The Change for the Better. Uh, And in its title, you can tell how I feel about menopause and where we would like to get to with hearts and minds around the menopause and making sure everybody gets the right support that they need. Okay, thank you for that introduction. So why are we talking more about menopause now than perhaps we have done in the past? It's a really good question, Rachel, isn't it? Because menopause has always been around, but actually we are in a very different environment today. So a lot has changed. Um, So say, for example, if we go back to around about 100 years ago, uh, as far as records tell us, women tended to experience menopause around about 57 and died at 59 on average. But it was very much viewed yeah. as a, an end of life experience. Um, and understandably, right. um, whereas where we are today, we are living for longer, we're working for longer. So m- the majority of us will be working until our late 60s and menopause hits um, many of us at a time that is p- possibly closer to the, the midpoint of our career rather than the end of our lives. So a very, very different environment. And of course, um, when we look at demographics, we know in the UK, in particular, the global north for that matter, we are an aging population. And that's similar in some places around the world too. So there's more of us in work than ever before, more of us with bigger responsibilities, bigger jobs, maybe on the board, Um, than ever before. And that is a very, very different environment. So what are the um, key compelling reasons why this is important at work? There's very compelling reasons. For example, the business case is is an important one. Um, And certainly one that we're seeing a lot of employers sitting up and starting to appreciate, particularly since the publication of the Government Equality Office report in 2017, which led to headlines like, The UK is losing millions every year because bosses don't get menopause or they don't understand menopause. Um, But when it comes to the business case around menopause, there are some really easy to identify um, benefits to an organisation. For example, we're seeing more more, uh, research around how many people consider leaving work during their menopause. And if you look at well-being of women statistics back in 2016, they said one in four women consider it. The Fawcett Society report came out a couple of weeks ago and they were saying potentially 333 women had actually left work. But there is actually a tangible cost to that. If you look at Oxford Economics um, research, they say it costs around about £30,000 to replace somebody on an average salary of 25000 which is fairly low in today's world. Um, so, you know, when you consider that if you look at your demographics as an organisation and you start to crunch those numbers, it can be very costly um, to be losing and having to replace talent um, from the business and unnecessarily unnecessarily, I'd add that. Um, So we know retention is a key one. Um, 
performance and absence and sickness, there's still a lot more research to be done around that. Um, but a lot of people are saying, actually, I'm taking time off as a result of my menopause. And what we're starting to see now, which I think is absolutely revolutionary, the first time it happened last June was an employer that put in their job advert that they were a menopause-friendly employer. And I thought that was quite something. But also one that is becoming increasingly focused on is the employment law. Now, this is different around the world. Of course it is. But in the UK, um, we have very strong um, employment law. A lot of people don't realise that menopause is already covered by the Equality Act under the protected characteristics of age, sex and even disability. Um, and uh, requirements under the Health and Safety at Work Act too. But because it's being talked about in Parliament now and the questions being asked, what more can we do to support those experiencing menopause at work? That is likely to get even tougher in the UK. Um, so, you know, that's going to be much more compelling. And we've seen employers lose at employment tribunals um, because they didn't take menopause seriously. I think the one that we are seeing the most um, action on is appreciation of social responsibility. Um, you know, have, having employment law is one thing, but we all want to work for an employer of choice, somebody that um, understands and puts our well-being centre stage. They're the sort of employers that we would all much sooner work for. So most employers are doing this because it's good for diversity and inclusion it's good for the well-being of colleagues. So all of that is a very, very compelling case. It pays back very, very quickly for an employer who puts menopause awareness, education and support in place. So you mentioned um, about there being more women on boards, for example. Um, how can menopause affect um the success of getting more women on boards, for example? How can it affect the pipeline? That's a really good question. And uh, one organisation that we supported, this was back in 2018. One of the key things that they were focusing on is we want to improve our pipeline. We want to have a more diverse board. We want to include more women. Um, but there seems to be a bit of a, and it was described as a hole in our bucket or a hole in our pipeline in that a um, number of women um, that were putting themselves forward for board positions or in that pipeline um, were, were, was actually shrinking in their view, that people weren't putting themselves forward for it. And I get that. I could cover the, the impact around ages, stages, symptoms and solutions, because I think that that answers the question. Because when you look at those four things, an age first, Menopause, the menopause transition happens a lot earlier than people realise. On average, it's between 45 and 55. In the UK, the average is 51. That's different around the world, by the way, because ethnicities and environments can have an impact on menopause age. Um, but if you just look at that average age of, of 51 in the UK, um, now, that is younger than many people realise. And, you know, somebody that's 51 could still be at work for another two decades after that one day in time. But then when you start to appreciate that menopause is a transition which happens over many years, the average age is not the whole story by any stretch. But before that time, 
is what's known as the perimenopause. Now, perimenopause simply means, well, menopause means um, ceasing of periods. Perimenopause means peri around, so around the time of ceasing of periods. Now, there's not enough information about how long that is, and we are all unique in this transition. But, you know, it could be up to 10 years that um, that transition starts for an individual. And if you think of that average age of 51, and if you take 10 years off that, that means, you know, you kind of need to be thinking about menopause or um, keeping your eye out for symptoms in your early 40s. And that's very, very different sort of age group or what people expect of menopause. I mentioned symptoms there and when somebody could be experiencing symptoms, and I think this is something worth exploring too, because um, we all under we, we all recognise hot flushes, don't we? The stereotypical um, symptom around menopause, hot flushes. Um, but research after research, and I could quote here the research that was done by the Trade Union Con- Congress in 2018, um, the work that was done from the House of Commons research in February of this year, 2022. And the Fawcett Society, and they're all saying the same thing. This is the thing that we need to appreciate about the symptoms that yes, are the physical symptoms around hot flushes and changes in weight, aches and pains, headaches, changes in periods, of course, urinary tract infections, changes in um, urinary urge, those sorts of things. Um, but actually, the psychological symptoms are the ones that women are continually saying are the ones that affect them possibly the most. Um, so the if I look at this, the uh, Fawcett Society and the House of Commons and um, the TUC research, it was saying um, sleep difficulties were a problem. Anxiety and worry, difficulty concentrating, hot flushes were in there, but so was fatigue. And when you start to appreciate the range of symptoms and how they could affect someone, you can really understand how they might chip away at somebody's confidence at work or chip away at how somebody might cope with all of the things that they did before um, when those symptoms might sneak up on them or start to affect them, even before they realise that they are in the menopause transition. How can a company secretary go about approaching this, this area to help educate their organisation and their board um, and and to help support the women in the organisation? Well, my top tips for how to get this on the workplace agenda, well, first of all, I'd start with understanding if there's anything already going on in the organisation, um, because we know a lot of employers are already taking action and a lot of organisations, their HR team are already starting to look at menopause policies or guidance documents or what they might need to do. We know a lot of organisations where they've started to have things like menopause cafes to get the conversation going or um, support groups or even organisations that are starting to recognise things like World Menopause Day on the 18th of October. But if, if your organization's not already doing something, what I would, what I would recommend doing is um, starting to, to understand how this might benefit your organization. Um, so looking at the demographics of your organization, every organization is unique. 
as unique as individuals are, so are organisations. So their approaches are different. So thinking about your demographics, for example, in the NHS, they're 77% female and thinking how many people could be affected by this right now. Looking at some of those statistics around the cost of losing talent or the cost of retaining talent, looking at the risks around actually if our line managers aren't educated on this and we find ourselves at a tribunal, there's tangible risks around um, fines, etc. There's also a tangible risk on the impact of your brand um, and its reputation and would people want to work for you? So thinking about it in terms of the business case, I'm pretty sure in the UK it won't be that long before there is more in place from a from a law point of view. But of course, that's different around the world. Um, but starting to get to grips with what's the business case for your organisation would be key. Um, starting to appreciate the, the, the appetite for this in your organisation. Now, I can remember the very first organisation that published their menopause policy. They came to one of our events and the board director said, how do I get this talked about on the board then? How do I talk to them about this is something we might want to consider? Uh, and my suggestion was, can you tell them that you've been to a menopause session today and this is what you learned and this is why we think we ought to be doing something about it? And, you know, the interesting feedback from her was that um, it was a lot easier to raise this as a subject than she she thought it was going to be. Okay. Um, she said that what she heard from, <laughs> yes, she said what she heard from her board directors was, oh, actually, my wife's experiencing this, or I saw something about this on the TV. Um, and, you know, they were, they were just as eager to get the conversation started. Um, so she found that she was pushing on an open door. What we're seeing is it's not just a female board director that is taking the lead on um, putting menopause on the agenda in the workplace. We see a lot of organisations who are also male dominated wanting to put menopause on the agenda but you know whether it's your finance director appreciating this is the difference it can make to your bottom line or the HR director saying this is how we can sort of um, um, benefit our employee brand this is good for all organizations actually we've not found one yet that didn't say it's a win-win it's good for our colleagues and it's been good for our business too um, so do put it on the um, on the uh, agenda um, and, and don't be surprised if there's a lot more appetite for it than you might possibly realise. Um, because what we need to appreciate, so many people think that this is a, um, a women only issue, but it's really not. And in fact, it's a really inclusive conversation. And I know I often see the statistics that say, half of the population will be affected by menopause. And that's not true. All of the population can be affected by menopause. Half of us experience it firsthand, but the other half experience it through their relationships, whether that's with a partner, family member, friend or colleague or um, uh, somebody in your team. But also the appetite we see from um, partners, males, young adults around the menopause has been a real eye-opener. This is probably where we are with the journey that this is more of an interest now than it was before. Um, so it is a fully inclusive subject, both in terms of who can be affected by menopause, 
who needs to know about it and also who can who's got a part to play in support yeah. whether it's at home and at work um so there's a huge amount of appetite for both um, well from everyone around menopause understanding um, and we it's talking about areas that can be affected and we touched on it earlier but I'm, I'm really interested to talk about it a little bit more the the, the pipeline to the boardroom um, because of the time of life that you were talking about the age even if it is a bit younger it might still be the, the you know coincide with the time when people are getting on the right track for moving towards the boardroom um, and I wonder if that's something that organizations are beginning to identify you talked about the hole in the bucket are they making that connection yes. and actively seeking to address it? I think more and more organisations are. Um, this is the light bulb moment when they start to appreciate, well, this is where we're looking for for our pipeline and those individuals can be affected. And they may not um, feel capable of doing the job because, uh, you know, menopause can hit on your confidence for um, those reasons I dis described earlier with the symptoms. Um, but, yeah, starting to take it much more seriously um, that this could be stopping us from achieving our, the, you know, the, the, the mix on our board that we actually want to see. Um, and that's such a shame. Appreciating the ages, stages and symptoms is essential in understanding and um, helping to avoid the situation where your pipeline is affected. And how can a company secretary advise a board in this area? What, what do you think they should be um, suggesting the board can do? There's various things that an employee can do to be a menopause friendly employer. And I, I would also say um, to a, a company secretary that our experience over the last six years is these campaigns are not expensive. It's very often small, simple things that can make a world of difference. But it's important to get a plan in place. Um, so stage one is making sure that it's absolutely clear that the organisation understands that this is something that's important. So that comes down to recognising the business case, whether that's actually the numbers or appreciating what being a good, responsible employer looks like. So making it clear that your organisation takes this seriously. And many organisations do that through um, uh, publishing and communicating a menopause policy or a menopause, menopause guidance document or building up a website of menopause materials that um, do say, yes, we, we, we understand menopause and we're there to support if needs be. Um, and also getting the conversations started around menopause um, because people can feel that this is a taboo subject. It's all right for me to say, let's talk about menopause. It's all I do. It's what I do seven days a week, to be fair. Um, but when people come to this for the first time, it can feel a little bit awkward, a little bit alien. But once you get used to talking about menopause um, and, and sort of communicating about it, I would say that people have told us time and time again that you do get used to it fairly quickly. And the more and more you get used to it, and the more you normalise that conversation and the and the word itself, the better it is for everyone. And I would also say it's always powerful when it's somebody from the board that is prepared to share their story or be able to say, I'll be the sponsor for that particular piece of work because it's something that's important to me. So look for um, you know a sponsor that will be prepared to do that and then listen to what your colleagues are, um, are telling you is important to them. So if you've got 
um, staff forums or if you've already got um, gender balance networks, for example, could they be people that you could talk to to say, this is what we're thinking of doing. What's your thoughts around this? And I'm sure they will help generate some ideas around what would be useful because bearing in mind every organization's unique you've got different roles in there you've got different leadership styles different cultures different existing policies and practices and um, but you know talking to people within your organization and saying this is this is something that we're thinking about raising what do you think about this um you could tap into into that as a resource and and don't forget training because i can honestly say it's so powerful when you train up your occupational health teams and your HR teams and your line managers, because, you know, those line managers aren't born with menopause knowledge either. And you'll be surprised how many of them will say, I'd be really worried about um, getting this wrong. And also tapping into your existing resources, because many employers have already got a lot of things in place and may not even realise, for example, their employee assistance programme or their occupational health may have already had training in this it's worth checking in with them and saying what's your level of knowledge and and what could you do for somebody and but, but looking at things as well like um uniforms and the practical things about you know is there a temperature control can you order desk fans um is that uniform can it be varied can somebody order more kit if needs be if if they're struggling with hot flushes and need to wash it more often but all of those things i've just talked through um are all pretty practical aren't they Yes. And so, and do you think, thinking about practical steps that you can take, can the company secretary then almost be somebody who can collate all of that together? Like you said, if, if, if different parts of the organisation have already done training, but perhaps it's not been put together as, you know, like this is what we have on the menopause so far. Is that something that a practical step that the company secretary could take to make progress? Um, in this area? Oh, definitely. Definitely. They can make a huge amount of difference because, and you know, th this is our experience, you know, some organisations are very large um, and we, we've we been connect, um, contacted by different parts of the organisation and we've pretty much said, um, you do know, um, can I just uh, connect you to your HR team? Uh, because they're already starting to work on this. So D&I have already identified it as something that they need to need to look at and HR have already started to implement something and you know, then you've got a little group in a little unit that started a support group so it is really worthwhile checking in with some of those functions to say is this on your radar is this something that we're already doing um, but when I talked through those practical steps earlier around um, you know menopause policies guidance documents getting a communication and engagement plan together a training plan looking at various practical support that's available, it, these campaigns work best. Um, these intervention, interventions work best when it is a coordinated plan. Um, and it, it, you know, it makes it so much more impactful and also easier for the organization. So do check. Um, but then also, um, do connect in with the various functions. And um, if it's not on the radar now, I'd probably ask why it's not because um this is the, the landscape has dramatically changed in the uk and rachel we're already seeing a lot of organizations internationally um starting to um, take action around this and look at what they need to do so this is something that is going global mm. and and if a company secretary isn't lucky enough to have a board that is open to this if they meet resistance 
how can they keep pushing the agenda to make sure the board takes it seriously? I guess that comes down to why it's not being taken seriously, doesn't it? Because, um, you know, if it's your finance, uh, your organisation needs your finance director on board to say, yes, we can put a budget behind it. And um, the business case is incredibly compelling. Um, so, you know, if you just look at if we avoid one or two people leaving in our organisation, that would be 30, 60,000 pounds worth of money freedom. Um, and this campaign won't cost more than that. So actually, after that, you're into a positive effect on your bottom line. Or is it the HR director? You know, what is the reason? Have they got other priorities that are competing? Um, but I would also add to that that, you know, this isn't something that's coming on the radar for something that is coming up. This is something that is really live right now and is affecting individuals at work and affecting organizations right now. So I'd really dial up on the urgency because, you know, organizations compete for talent, don't they? Wherever you are in the world, um, yeah. it's not, I've not met a HR person yet that says it's a doddle to replay or to fill a vacancy when you've got one. So I would actually say also look at perhaps some of the things that other organizations in your industry are doing because menopausal women can join other organizations or they could walk straight past your door um, in the future. So this is also future proofing your um, your workforce, as well as all of those things like protecting you from a legal perspective and all those lovely things. I often think carrot and stick here. For me, the social responsibility, being the best place to work is something that you know, the the right and uh, the best employers will look at as something that is absolutely key. Yes, yeah, so I'm I'm interested that um you talked a little bit about risk and I wondered you, you you said about this being something that's urgent. Um and I wonder if some of that urgency as well comes from the fact that I think from the during the the pandemic at its height and when we, you know, came to understand the importance of our employees, I think there is more emphasis on these kinds of issues and I wonder if from a reputational risk point of view that also makes this issue more urgent because like you said if you get it wrong or if you're not doing enough or you know just by doing nothing you're notable by your absence do you think that those are factors? I think they are very good factors actually and you know reputational risk um, it's and, and it's interesting when we talk about reputational risk, it's not just what your employees think of you, it's what your customers think of you as well, isn't it? Um, and I know there are a lot of em a lot of employers, for example, like the retailers, as well as um, uh, wholesalers, manufacturers, all sorts of different employers are taking action. You wouldn't want to be the one that isn't, would you? Um, but from a reputational risk on the employment law side, you wouldn't want yourself being Googled as the organisation that messed up around the menopause because that will linger for a very long time. And I have to say, um, very often when I see employment um, law articles, um, whether it's in the media or whether it's um, through HR channels, and they talk about menopause tribunals, and very often it's it's those few that are in the public domain it's a really big risk when there is still small enough number that actually don't add your name to that list <laughs> absolutely do you have any top tips for company secretaries for things they should be doing right now to address this issue in their company well firstly it's great that you're doing this podcast today 
um, because uh, it gives people an opportunity to understand the impact that they can have on so many people if they do introduce it into their organization. Because as I say, you know, look at your demographics, appreciate how many people could be affected by this. I would say start by checking what your organization is already doing because you kind of don't want to raise it at the board and then perhaps have the finance director or the HR director say, actually, I think we've got a policy on that. So do do some checking, first of all, to see what's already in play. I would definitely check in with um, some of the um, networks that you might have. Some organization have, organizations have um, gender networks. You might have a diversity and inclusion network, for example. And if you can sort of have a, a check in with them to see um, what their thoughts might be, because it'd be good to go with some, this, this you know, looking at what we're, we've got already and, and talking to some people. This is something that, that we believe or I believe will be really helpful for individuals in our organization. And also um, check into what it is that you can do. As I say, it doesn't have to be a massively expensive, elaborate program um, to make a big difference in your organization. Always look at things like your policy and your guidance, your training, um, getting the communications going and um, doing a practical steps around, actually, is there anything environmentally that is making menopause symptoms worse or we could adjust to make things easier for people. Um, so, you know, get your head around that along with the business case um, and do your prep before you go to the meeting. Um, and, uh, and, you know, be confident. Uh, menopause can affect us all, half of us, firsthand, the other half through our relationships. So somebody around that table will be very happy to have that conversation and join you in it, I would say. So are there any key dates or awareness events that company secretaries could use to um, to flag up these issues and get the momentum going in their organisation? There are, Rachel, and it depends when somebody's listening to this podcast, because there are some key dates um, in the year when uh, you will see more and more menopause conversations. In May, we have um, Women's Health Week. And then in on the 18th of October, we have World Menopause Day. But actually around the world, um, Menopause Awareness Month in the UK, well, the UK, we say October. I know in the US, they um, tend to do a lot of activity in September. And also International Women's Day is when we tend to see a huge peak within organizations and also with the media around the menopause. So this is a really good time if you wanted to take action and, and put menopause on your agenda to say, actually, let's plan for what we can do in September or October this year, because that'll be a prime time to launch a program or to get the conversation started if you haven't already. Great. Well, thank you, Deborah. That's that's really useful to give a flag a flag that people can use to get momentum going in their organisation. And it's been a really useful discussion to to help people start thinking about menopause, how it's affecting um, their business, and how they can help get it on the board agenda through using um, constructive information to make it relevant to the organisation, as well as the risks associated with not taking action. Thank you very much for your insights today, Deborah. engage governance look out for more podcasts coming soon we would like to thank our sponsors and experts for supporting the launch of the engage governance podcast series 
To access more podcasts and other useful governance tools like our guidance notes, blogs and articles, please visit www.cgi.org.uk.